Hello, and welcome to another episode of She's On It. In today's episode, I was so lucky and honored to be able to have a conversation with Miriam Hart from the Netflix original, My Unorthodox Life. My Unorthodox Life is a TV show that follows the life of Julia Hart and her family. Julia Hart is the CEO of Elite World Group, and some of the stars of the show are former members of the ultra-Orthodox Jewish community. After watching the show, I became inspired by especially Miriam Hart and her journey. After contacting her personally, I was so glad when she agreed to join me on my podcast. I learned so much from her within the short time we were able to talk, and I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Hello. Hi. Um, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. Of course. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I actually got to learn more about you through watching the Netflix original My Unorthodox Life, which I mean, everyone should go check out if they haven't. I think, I mean, it was really, truly inspiring watching you, your whole journey and where you are now. I think it's actually really incredible. Thank you so much. I was intrigued by so much on the show, but I think what I was interested really in was how you were able to become such a strong and passionate believer in women's rights and feminism after living in that type of a community. So I was mm -hmm. wondering, has your definition of feminism changed over the years? That's a good question. Um, I think if I think about it now, would I define feminism growing up? I was actually known in my class always growing up as the feminist. And in my eighth grade yearbook, they wrote that I'd be a feminist president as like, what is everybody most likely to be? So I was the feminist president. So I, I took that as a compliment. Apparently it's supposed to be an insult. So I was like, oh, cool. I'm going to be president. That's awesome. You know? Um, but yeah, I was definitely feminism to me meant when I was in the community, it meant equal, it meant equal rights to men. It meant also just understanding why things are the way they are. Meaning I would always ask in class, why do we have to cover our knees and wear skirts? Why do women have to stay at home? And I would just ask these questions and try to understand. So that to me was, and to other people as well, considered being a feminist, questioning, questioning why things are the way they are. And now I think honestly, going to Stanford, I started taking feminist and gender studies classes and learning more about what misogyny is, what the patriarchy is. Um, as like theoretical concepts and as actual things. And it's honestly the same thing. It's about understanding and breaking apart the world that exists right now, why it exists this way, why are women in one area and men in another and what can we do about it? So that's feminism. I think that's a really smart answer, really. Thank um, you. So how did you learn to find your voice and stand up for what you believe in? Honestly, I think it was a combination of me not having a choice. So I think that um, I was just such an oddball growing up. I always wanted to run in the mud. I wanted to wear sneakers. I wanted to play sports. And in my community, that was considered being weird. You know, most girls, they wore like, there's something, I don't know if you heard of this term called the JAP. JAP stands for Jewish American Princess. So the goal for all the girls in, in my school was to be a Jap. You want to have nice clothing, designer clothing, super modest, covering everything, and just sitting and talking. And that was considered like the right thing to do. But me, I didn't care what I wore. I didn't care how I looked. I just wanted to play. Uh, and that was, as a girl, not proper. And so I think that um, I kind of was forced to just 
be myself because and just be okay with it because who I was naturally I knew it wasn't bad but it was just different you know and so everybody I had two friends in elementary school because uh, everybody else just wasn't like me. And there's two other girls who were, who wanted to play the games that I wanted to play. And so I think from that experience, although it seems hard and although I was bullied, actually, I was genuinely okay with it because I just wanted to be me. And by being me, I was speaking out and I was doing something that's different. And so from a very early age, I learned that being different is okay if that's who you are, because conforming and not doing that I guess to me just wasn't ever an option because I just didn't even know how to conform. I couldn't even pretend. I, I wasn't good at pretending. So I think that's something that I learned how to do over the years. Like once I hit puberty and I started getting taller and, and thinning out and things like that, and it was easier for me to conform and fit in. And I tried that and I realized that this isn't for me. I'm not happy doing that. And then it was all in one where I left my religion and left that friend group at the same time. I said goodbye to this religion, goodbye to this friend group. I'm going to be myself. And sometimes being yourself is being outspoken. So it's just about being truthful to who you are. So was there a point or moment in your life where you remember thinking that the way women are, are treated in your community isn't right and you thought, this is why I have to leave? So yes, actually there was one moment for me, but I would say the journey of me leaving is very was very long. It right. wasn't just one thing that I thought, and I was like, this doesn't make sense. There's a flaw. I shouldn't be following these rules anymore. It was a very gradual experience for me. It took, and although I think it's gradual, it's actually relatively fast compared to a lot of people who do leave. But to me, it seemed so long. Um, it took six months for me to really decide that I don't want to follow this religion anymore. And, but there was this one moment for me where I really realized anymore. And that was when I was studying in a school where I was able, I switched schools um, mid high school to a more modern Orthodox school. And it was supposed to be better for me because they had sports there and all I wanted to do growing up was to play sports. And so I was so happy, but at the same time, there's all these subtle notes um, and covert ways of saying that women are less than men. men. And for example, we just learned that we say every day that uh, thank you, God, for not making me a slave. That was a blessing, uh, a prayer that women say. And men say, thank you, God, for not making me a woman. So that's one example of just, we're constantly still being enforced that men are better than women. Uh, and I remember I was taking an exam on a religious, in a religious studies class on the Talmud. And we were learning about rape and about how it's okay, a man won't get as punished for rape if, it is, if it's on a woman who's been raped already by this man. Because then it's not, um, it's not psychological damage because she was already damaged psychologically. And so we have to study which, what rabbi says that's okay, what rabbi disagrees with that, you know, and I have to memorize this information and study this. And so I remember going to my mom and saying, like, crying to her and saying, I can't do this anymore. I can't study this. It's too painful to me. Because once I stopped believing, it was just so painful to just relive all these memories without any belief that was keeping my foundation there. And so that was a moment for me of just like, okay, I need to figure out what to do to get out of here right now. And this was still in the middle of high school. So I actually left high school early and I moved to San Francisco to study computer science. But this was one of the moments for me that really pushed me to do that. Mm, okay, that's cool. Um, mm -hmm. So 
I know, like you mentioned your transition, it was gradual six months and it might be longer for other people. What would you say, um, like, how would you describe that transition? How mentally hard was it on you? That's a great question. I just wanna, first, I'm just gonna say you're asking really good questions. I'm very impressed. Yeah. Um, yeah, so uh, it was, I always, it was one of the hardest things I've done in my entire life. Honestly, getting to Stanford was even harder, which is really surprising. But it was for me because I came from a place of almost like nothing in terms of education. So I really had to build myself up to get into that school. Um, but besides that, it was the hardest thing for me to do. And that was because imagine you, your entire life, you're being told that as you're being told right now, I'm assuming stealing is bad, murdering is wrong, you know? It's good to eat healthy foods. Like sugar is something that you should limit yourself because it will may cause diabetes, you know? You're being told these things from people you trust and the internet and just so many different sources. So you feel it's in your bones that it's true, you know? And maybe not just that, but you yourself think it's true because if let's say one time you take something when you're not supposed to, you feel guilty. You know, that's nobody's telling you to feel guilty, but you feel guilty because it, according to your morals, it's wrong, right? right? So this is kind of how I felt about the Jewish religion, about or, like fundamentalist Orthodox Judaism, where I felt that if I, you know, wore pants or if I uh, used my phone on a Saturday, it was morally wrong. It was a bad thing to do, you know? And I would feel guilty because it was like stealing. It was just wrong. You just don't do that. And so the moment where you realize that it's not wrong, it's kind of like these walls in your mind just crashing to the ground. And you feel like your life is kind of was built on a lie. You know, all this guilt that you felt about things or all these actions you made in your life was pointless a little bit because all the times I wanted to you know, I couldn't, I wanted to read in my room on this, on a Friday night, but it was dark. And I just was like, okay, whatever. I'll just, I, I just won't, I just won't read or things like that. Just little things where you want to do something, but you don't because it's against the religion. You're like, why did I do that? This is all bullshit, you know? And so it was kind of, it was like, at first it was very sad and I was sad. I was like a little bit depressed about it, you know, like my life was built on a lie, what the heck? But then it turned into this feeling of free, it was freedom. And because then I realized that now I can actually decide what's right and wrong. I get to decide. Nobody gets to tell me that, you know, as a woman pursuing computer science is wrong. I get to decide if that's right or wrong. And it was such a freeing feeling. And even today, if somebody asked me where I stand religiously, I say I'm in the blissful unknown. Because I, my entire life, I've always had an answer. You know, I always knew that my purpose is this. But now I don't know. I don't know what the purpose of life is. I don't know what meaning is. And I'm so grateful for that. That's how I feel. Wow, that's, wow, that's really impressive, actually. Um, so I know there were some clips on the show where you were trying to also help your sister see um, like life in, some, in the same, same way that you do in some ways. So was that kind of difficult for you? Or how did you and your sister, um, like was your relationship um, how, how did it change your relationship? Yeah, well, I would say overall, when it comes to my family, because we have so many different views, we really learned how to always stick together no matter what. 
So even if we have like these little debacles or conversations where we disagree, there's still this underlying understanding that no matter what, we're there for each other. So knowing that it's actually easier to have conflicts because you want us to say how you feel, you know, or like talk about it with, so that happened frequently with my sister. I would say how I feel. And sometimes you would argue because I wanted her to know what I thought. And it's very difficult, especially when it comes to religion, um, because even somebody who lived there and knows what it's like to truly believe, being out of the community for now about like six years um, or almost six years, well, five years, uh, I, I kind of forget, you know, why I did certain things because like I would say to my sister, no, you should wear pants on the show, you know, uh, and but I forgot, it's very easy to forget how not okay that is, you know, even from somebody that's in the religion, who was in the religion. So I think that I definitely could have like been more sensitive sometimes with her, but at the same time, because we have this like ground where we love each other and we're always there for each other, I felt okay just really saying what was on my mind. And just, even if I knew she's not gonna agree, I just wanted her to know that it angers me and just in the way that I hope that it might anger herself too. You know, so I think because we have this love for each other, that's why it's okay. it's okay to just it's kind of like saying to somebody like, oh, you have something in between your teeth or there's like a booger on your nose. You know, it's like it's like that makes you feel uncomfortable and it makes them feel uncomfortable. But if it's like your friend, it's a lot easier to say that to you than if it's your teacher, you know. Um, and so that's kind of like what it was like. Yeah, okay, that's cool. So um, what do you think are some of the most like efficient or even just the simple ways to change the course for women's rights right now? Yeah, that's a great question too. Um, okay, this is what I think. I think that if you look at history, uh, mm -hmm. if you look at the women's rights movement in America, I, I don't know what it's like in Korea, which I did, but I don't. Um, you see that actually it wasn't a woman fighting against men to gain rights. It was women fighting a lot of the time against women. And so I think something to keep in mind is that feminism isn't the right, isn't a fight towards gaining equality to men, but it's about changing a mindset in women too, that we deserve to be in a certain place that's more equal to men. And so this is something that's not really talked about much, but one of the biggest opposing parties to the feminist movement in the US in the seventies, when it really was picking up, was a woman-led movement. So it's really important, I think, that we acknowledge this and we realize that misogyny and the fight for equality isn't just a fight against men, but it's a fight against people who disagree with misogyny, period. And usually the reason why people disagree, women included, is because their entire life they're told once again that this is how things are. And imagine just saying to somebody, and I've felt this before, I felt believing something and then all of a sudden deciding it's not true. That, that spot right there doesn't feel good. People don't wanna know that a way that they live their life always, the decisions they made always were wrong. That's hard to admit, you know? And so women themselves who decide to stay at home or decided to not go to college, who are living this life are gonna fight to, to stay within what they know because that means they're admitting to a life of lie. You know, that's a lot. So, so I can personally understand why women would be against feminism. I can understand that. Um, and so I think to moving forward, a way that we can fight is one, genuinely speaking up, saying that there isn't enemies, but victims, victims of people like these people, these women who 
were at home, they're entirely, they're not enemies, even if they disagree with feminism, they're victims. They're victims of the system that's in place today. And that's why they believe these things. So it's not necessarily pointing fingers at people, but pointing the system and saying that the system is wrong and speaking up. I think one thing that I can talk about definitely is that some of the rules of misogyny and feminism even apply to queer relationships. Like I'm in a queer relationship, I have a girlfriend. And even then, you know, there can be a power dynamic. And that's something that me and my girlfriend talk about and try to work out together to make sure that there's nothing that's like, one of us does this thing, the other one does that, and kind of just making sure we're equal um, and not falling into any rules. And so I really think it's about just speaking up, women need to try one, they need to stick for, um, up for each other and just like support each other. There's so many things that we can be doing. So yeah, one is to support one another in the workplace. Two is to speak up and say that something's not right. Um, three is to open first doors, kind of like being the first black woman um, at Uber. I think they had like the first black woman to run the operations there or something. There's something like high up. And so she opened the door for other people to do the same. And so I think it's just about opening doors for people, um, mentoring and helping women believe that they're actually capable of doing way more than they're told. Okay. Um, so I know your mom is such an influential person in the fashion industry. And even in some of the clips of the show, like we can see you having some interest in clothing and in fashion. So have, have you ever used fashion as a medium to voice your stance on women's rights or feminism? Definitely. <laughs> um, I think every day to me, uh, I'm, actually, I'm actually showing people how empowered I am by what I wear. Uh, and it's a fight for feminism by doing that. It's because every day I'm wearing pants, you know, I, I, I wear dresses sometimes, but it's very rarely and it's my decision, you know? Um, and so for me, every time I wear white tank tops, for some reason, that was something I just wasn't able to do growing up, you know? And so now when I wear a white tank top, it feels empowering. When I wear baggy pants, it feels empowering um, and pants in general. And so I think that just by wearing what I want to wear truly, that is supporting the feminist movement because that's saying that women should be able to put on their bodies what they want to put on. And by living that and, and being that embodiment, I think that it's encouraging other women to do the same and other girls to do the same, that they don't have to wear tight clothes if they don't want to and still look good. You know, that's something that I really care about. I care about wearing clothes that are comfortable and functional and fun and cool and colorful and stylish. So instead of saying, or sometimes if people say beauty, like comes before comfort, you know, um, beauty is uncomfortable. And these statements, I just, it makes me want to throw up because I disagree so much. You know, I think that instead of saying, or we can say, and you can be beauty, beautiful and comfortable. Why do they have to fight each other? So that's what I, that's my fashion. And I don't see myself stopping, stopping doing that anytime in the future. And I hope other people feel the same. Okay. And just like one last thing I want to bring up. I'm so like, I've tried coding before and personally it's been so difficult and I just want to like I have so much respect for women that do coding and make all these apps so I just want to ask you do you have any more ideas for like some of your app creations right now actually I'm not really working too much on app development lately I've been interested in um, building nfts because it's been I've been building apps for almost 
like eight, I've been building apps for eight years. So now I feel like, let me, let me try something else, you know? Um, so in terms of new app ideas, there's nothing really, but in terms of encouraging people to get into app development, I would say, actually, I think that's a really good medium to start learning how to code because it's very creative. You know, um, when you're just programming something on like Python or Java and you build a game, sometimes it's hard to really create the colors of everything and make the design. But with app development, you can really like design an app, you know, you get to build the colors and the font and, and make everything and it can be really fun and creative. So I think it's actually a really good way to get into coding. So it's not just all about the code, you know? Right, right. You know, I think when I when I tried coding and I still continue to do it sometimes, but I think I haven't felt like really free doing some things like in the type of culture that I live in. But mm -hmm. when I'm using code to like create these, not to create apps, but just simple games or just to like make something move with code, I think it, it gives me so much freedom to do what mm -hmm. I can like to do whatever I want on that app yeah. or on that code. So I think it, I think it is a really good idea to like have more people use code to do that. All right. Um, yeah, no, totally. I think what you're saying is like, oh yeah, you finish up. No, sorry. There was like an offering. I'm sorry. That's okay. I, should I finish? Should I just say my thought? And then yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, just last thing is that, um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh yeah. That like, I think what you're saying about building things that, that you make is empowering and feels freeing. It's because it's kind of like you're building the tools that you want to use in a way, like you're making what you want to exist, exist. And that's kind of cool, you know, and that feels powerful. And so I would just, another thing I would encourage you to do or any young girls in that are trying to code is to build things that you want for yourself. And I know this sounds very selfish, but not many girls in their teens are building apps for themselves, which in turn will be helpful for other girls in their teens too you know? And so like, I think that is a mindset to have that will keep people motivated to actually work on one project because you actually want this to exist. So I'll think about what is there something in your life where an app can solve some sort of problem? Like for me, one of the first apps I made was called Recyclable. And it was when I didn't know what was recyclable or not. So I was like, let me make an app that does that for me because I don't know what's recyclable. Uh, and, and people ended up liking that app, you know? But I would say start off with actually building apps for yourself and you'll, and you'll be surprised by how far you go and by how many people want to use it. Okay. Um, I want to thank you so much for your time and I'm super excited for season two to come out. So I'll be definitely watching it then. Awesome. Okay. Thank you for having me, Jenna.